Welcome to Tyron Sports. I'm your host, David Thay, coming to you with the 2022 UGA football preview, a preview of the defending national champs. And that feels good to say, right, boys? Feels 100%. I'm here with my main men, Scott the Stat Assassin and Dr. J. Y'all tell everybody, go dogs. Go dogs. Woo, sick. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> and we are here to talk about how good Georgia's going to be in 2022 and how we're feeling about their prospects of a, yes, repeat national championship run. So starting off, I wanted to ask y'all this question right off the jump. What is the biggest loss off a team that had five defensive starters drafted in the first round, six total, and who had every draft-eligible player selected? So what is our biggest loss coming into the season? Literally, figuratively, size-wise, personality-wise, waist-size, Jordan Davis. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I to pick one single player would be hard. If you were going to pick one, it it might be Jordan Davis. Um, but I'm it's it's that defensive front seven is is absolutely the biggest loss. I mean, man, David, you just knocked me down a peg or two here. I, I was I was all ready to talk about uh, how good we're going to be, and <laughs> now now I'm already shifting into Larry Munson mode because you're right. We we had major losses there from last season. And we'll talk about how hard that's going to be to replace. Yeah, Jordan Davis, yeah, Ron Walker. I mean, those guys. Uh, we just we don't really have replacements for them. It, it's Jordan Davis. It's it just is Jordan Davis, right? Yeah. From the middle of 2018 through the end of 2021, no one could run on us. He's a one man run defense. And David, you've said it before. You've sat there and have been at clinics or whatever, where Kirby's talking about the defensive philosophy. And the philosophy is to try and play the run with as few people as possible. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what makes that really easy? Friggin' Jordan, Jordan Davis. <laughs> so, and and we talk about replacements, like, okay, the linebackers, whoever you have a linebacker, they're not going to be as good this year as N'Kobe Dean was last year. But they're still going to do a lot of the same things, just not quite as well. You're just not going to have somebody that has the same size and eats up, you know, double teams the way Jordan Davis does. So I, I, I hear you. I'm going with Nicobe Dean personally. I just think that what he did as far as knowledge and reading, he's one of the best readers. Any of us coaches that like look at that stuff have ever seen it inside linebacker. Uh, He didn't quite have Roquan's Roquan speed, but I think he was an even better reader than Roquan. I, you, there are, there aren't more Nicobe Deans out there just like there aren't a lot of Jordan Davis's out there. However, I feel like what Nicobe did is even harder to replace than what Jordan did, which I know is saying a lot. So how about this? The correct answer is the front seven. Can we all agree on that? Yeah. We, I, we, we, we can definitely agree on that. Well, Cause I was going to say too, I am worried about the pass rush um, in general, and we're going to have deficiencies there compared to last year. Um, but like Scott was saying also, just philosophy-wise, I mean, what Kirby does, not not having that absolute rock-solid run-stopper in the middle um, might even be a bigger deal than not having as good of a pass rush. But they're both they're both not going to be as good as they were last year. It's just not possible. Yeah, and those things are tied in together. Um, yep. David, I would have uh, Nicobe as 1B. Yeah. The, the difference is that 
Chamon Dumas Johnson is a sophomore less experienced version of Nicobe Dean, roughly speaking. We don't have a sophomore inexperienced Jordan Davis. All right. The next question I have for you guys is who are you most excited about seeing come back? Well, uh, certainly it's just on the other side of the ball. Um, the offense is really, really going to be um, something to contend with. I, we need like a new name for the position tight end, like just calling them tight end just doesn't, just doesn't do it anymore. Uh, what, what those guys are going to do for us this year um, is uh, I, I'm not sure we've ever seen it before. So, I mean, as a group, that tight end room um, to have Brock Bowers back and Darnell Washington back and Eric Gilbert back um, I, maybe even Oscar Delp uh, contributing this year from the things we're hearing about him. Um, that, that is far and away the thing that I am most excited about seeing. Um, I guess in terms of coming back, right. I mean, obviously there was no question about Brock Bowers. There was maybe some question about Darnell Washington, if we were going to be able to retain him or not. And we did. And as it turns out, that might be like a really big deal. Um, and then sort of after all of the kind of uncertainty with Gilbert last year too, uh, to have him in the fold, you know, really, really does feel like a legitimate addition to the team. So that tight end room, I, I want to talk about it some more <laughs> later in the pod. I just, I couldn't be more excited about the ways we're going to be able to use them this year. How is your answer? Not Stetson Bennett. You're the biggest Stetson Bennett fan. I know. I, listen, <laughs> I, I am a, I am a big Stetson Bennett fan. There's, there's no question about that. Um, and, and I will, I will give Stetson plenty of love as we, as we talk about this year's team. Um, but no, I, I am more excited about our tight end room than I am about Stetson Bennett. I, I got to go Nolan Smith. That's the one that I'm most excited about returning yeah. part of that. Part of that being the baseline of he's a junior defensive player that definitely could have gone pro and got drafted last year. Now coming back as a senior, um, lot of leadership to replace he's very much a leader you know oh, yeah. for that team yeah and he's a guy that a really good athlete been a really good football player for his whole time at georgia that has sometimes gone unnoticed because he hasn't put up huge sack numbers right um but he's actually made a lot of plays while also being a sound football player um a little bit optimistic that this year is maybe a year where he can actually pile on some sack numbers too. Yeah. Uh, so I hope it does. I think for me, it's probably Nolan Smith, especially after seeing him in spring practice. And if you listen to our preview um, of our, excuse me, our review of spring practice. And I talked about, I don't know who's listing that guy at 240, but they're lying. Um, <laughs> he looks much closer to about 255 and he's covering Kendall Milton on wheel routes. Like it's nothing. And he is by far the sheriff on the defense. And out there practice listening to him talk, he is the sheriff. So I think he's probably my my one A with Brock Bowers and my one B because Brock Bowers is a freak unicorn. He is mini Kyle Pitts. Yes, I said it. He is just a matchup nightmare and probably one of the five best players in college football. I think he's that good. And listen, I mean, as we sort of uh as we sort of give out some fall camp uh buzz awards here. Um, not that, uh, not that Brock Bowers is not still Brock Bowers. He is, and he's maybe the most talented player on the team short of Jalen Carter, but right now, like the buzz award for the tight end position goes to Darnell Washington, mm, like 
um, among people who are able to see practice or able to talk to people who see practice or getting nuggets from scrimmages and that sort of thing. Everybody is raving. I mean, raving about Darnell Washington, about how healthy he looks, how in shape he looks, how he is. I'm not being metaphorical here, literally dragging guys up and down the field. Um, uh, People are, whoo, they're excited about Darnell Washington. Um, So take that for what it's worth. And that kind of is a good segue into our the, the next question we had, which is, what is the strength of this team? We'll start with the tight end room. We'll go from there. We've already kind of covered that. We'll go from there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the tight ends and it's the offensive line, I, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in, in general, you're talking about the strength of this team is power formations. And I don't mean mm-hmm. just the running game. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking about power formations for the pass game. Um, Let's... Lest you thought that maybe this was the year uh, that Georgia goes all like air raid four wide uh, spread <laughs> offense uh, and and gets away from the from the power bread and butter, this ain't the year. <laughs> the the strength of this team, the thing that we are the surest of, I think, is our offensive line and our tight ends. Probably the second thing after those would maybe be the running back room. Um, good. And so, no, we we are going to do plenty of running. We are going to do a lot of two and three tight ends. Um, that's mm-hmm, yeah. that's going to be the strength of this team. And um, I think Munkin is, is going to be really creative with those. I don't know that I would lump the running backs in next so much on account of you have two or three proven guys and that's it. One yeah. of them's always hurt. And one that's of true. them is has only ever played in garbage time. And it's not because he's was a five-star true freshman. It's just because he was always fifth on the depth chart. Right. So, I mean, Edwards is a fine college running back. It's not like he has no business being on the team or something like that, but there's a decent chance, you know, as it stands right now, he could be your number two guy for the second half for the first half of the season. Oh no. Cause Branson Robinson is going to pass him. Well, at the first half of the season, young guys have to learn to block and do all that stuff too, right? Um, so for the first half of the season, you could be pretty thin at running back. How bad is Milton's injury? Do we know? I, I don't know. It's like soft tissue, hamstring kind of stuff. Yeah, that guy needs to be bubble wrapped. I mean, he's like on the Julio Jones career track. I just – he's like – the guy can't say healthy. And Scott – I understand what you're saying. I think for Jay, like if I'm hearing you right, Jay, you're just talking about the overall talent in the room. Not not proven, but like I'm talking about I'm talking about the talent in the room. Yeah. If, yeah. if I'm if I'm picking our most talented position groups, I'm maybe like just me personally, I've got maybe offensive line and tight ends tied or or maybe maybe tight ends by their own. Yeah. After that, like I don't know what position me personally, I don't know what position group I would put over running backs yeah. in term of in terms of the talent and the expectation. Is it just offense? No. No. Oh, defensive line, linebacker, and cornerback. Over the running backs? As far as just talent in the room? Mm. Yeah. There's not mm. a single uh, – if you go by recruiting rankings, just that, not that's the only way, but just as a baseline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are zero five-star running backs on this roster, right? That's well, not some Branson crazy – is a five-star running back, even though he wasn't rated one. He is a five-star <laughs> running back. It, it, he definitely played like one. Uh, he was injured and missed most of his senior year. And he's not really a guy that's caught the ball much out of the backfield before. So, I mean, uh, David, you know, I've been high on Branson Robinson for a yeah, long time too, right? You have. He's, he's Nick Chubb that runs a four, six, right? 
that's still an, a really good college football player. Um, but if you look at the roster top to bottom right now, you got a lot of five-star looking athletes at cornerback. You got smell Munden and sorry and Jalen Walker first round looking dudes running around at linebacker. They might be inexperienced, same with cornerback, but talent, those guys are talented. And now here's the hilarious thing about this conversation. We're arguing about which position group has the most four and five stars because that's how talented Georgia's roster is. That's the hilarious part of this conversation. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. This guy money. should have been like, that tells you right there, this whole dialogue about where Georgia is that we're having this conversation that we can't agree on what the most talented position groups are because they all have so many studs. They're going to play in the NFL. Yeah. And, and I really like our running backs. They're just not like they're better football players of the three proven guys, they might be better football players than they are just like pure athletes or even pure NFL prospects, because you might not have any of those guys, you know, break four five, five in the 40. I would think, I think, I think Robinson's faster than that, but to your point, Scott, I just the proven guys. I was just talking about the, yeah. Yeah. But to your point, your point is like, none of those, we don't have a single first round pick an NFL running back. Right. We do in the secondary, we do on the defensive line and we do it. We do it linebacker. So yep. to your point, like I get, I get it. We do. I mean, and we ha- we definitely have maybe one or two at tight end. Definitely one. Yeah. And, and offensive line for sure. For sure. So I can't really argue that point. Yeah. And, and I will say this, right. Um, big picture. There's a really strong correlation between, you know, recruiting and how good your team is and how likely a player is to get drafted and all that that trend holds much more strongly for defense than it does for offense. Interesting. Uh, it still holds for offense, big picture overall, but it's much stronger correlation on defense. On offense, you can do things like scheming guys open, mm-hmm. right? Yep. You can have a receiver or a running back that runs a 4-6, but it's a running back with really good feet, good quickness, good vision, Breaks a lot of tackles. Elijah Holyfield. Catches the ball well. All these kind of things, right? You can have receivers that are four, six guys, but they run such good routes. They have huge catch radius, all this kind of stuff, right? You know, if you got a cornerback that runs a four, six, they're going to put a fast guy on him, and eventually they're going to have problems, right? Yes, Darian Kendrick. Yes, we saw that yeah. last year. <laughs> all that to say, it does, it's not a huge deal to me that our running backs and receivers are – good college players that aren't all first round picks. Yeah. Now that kind of leads into the next question, which is the other side of it, which is if this team struggles, what will be the reason I'll go first here. It will be the secondary. (laughs) The same thing we said would be the reason they struggled last year. If they weren't good, which is the secondary. That's my answer because to me, I, I just, I know we have a really experienced player in Christopher Smith, who again, doesn't protect to be a high NFL player. We have a legit CB1 in Keely Ringo, and then we have a former walk-on in Dan Jackson, an All-American with the busted knee in Tyke Smith, and I don't know what we have at the other corner. It's Pubs. Well, you still got William Poole out there, who we at least know. Yeah, he plays, yeah I don't know if he's going to play star or corner, but you do have him, and he has experience. Right. So, it, yeah, I mean, I think that if things go wrong, the secondary could look bad and get a lot of the blame. Okay. But I think that they might actually still be okay. They just might look bad and get a lot of the blame. And I say that because 
you know you can count on Ringo. You know you can yeah. count on Chris Smith. You know yeah. you can count on William Poole. You know that yeah. you can. <laughs> well, I, I mean, as far as like William Poole is not going to be a terrible player for the whole. No, season, that's true. That's true. Right. That's true. Um, and you know that Keely Ringo is he going to be good? Is he going to be really good? Is he going to be great? I don't know. It could be in that range. You know, mm-hmm. there's still a variability of outcomes. Uh, Smith, you know, is going to be steady, good, reliable player. Not a lot of variability there because you know what it is. But it's a really good college safety. And like you said, you have Dan Jackson and Tyke Smith. So you have what? That's at least five guys with a lot of experience, right? Yeah. You have Keith Ringo has only started one year, but he's a junior and he's a returning starter. Yeah. Chris Smith has played a ton. Tyke Smith has low key actually a ton of college experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, so anyway, the floor there is pretty high. There's just too much experience combined with only one real open position, maybe of the mm-hmm. other outside cornerback where you have like six, five star guys that are all fighting for that spot. Yeah. So what do you think the answer is, Scott? What goes wrong, Jay? What do y'all think? What, what goes wrong? Is it, is it the front seven play? I, I was yeah. kind of, I thought that's where Scott was going to go. And that's kind of what I was thinking. If it goes wrong, the secondary might end up looking bad but it might be more the fault of the front seven, okay. not, not having playmaking. I, it just remains to be seen. I, I am thinking especially a lot about the, the pass defense. Having said that our run defense is, it's impossible for it to be as good as it was um, with, with the players we lost from last year. I still feel like we're going to figure it out fine with the talent and the coaching that we have on defense, um, even though it won't be as good. The passing defense is what I'm more worried about, and specifically the pass rush. Like we're just gonna need um we're gonna need some new guys probably to really emerge as those passing down threats to the quarterback. And um, if we don't and they don't get there, uh the secondary is gonna end up looking bad, whether it's the secondary's fault or not. Um, you know, I, I will say I it it sounds to me like Kamari Lassiter is is probably in the lead for that mm, other corner okay. spot. I know that's a guy that um David you had seen at practice and thought mm-hmm. that he he definitely had some tools. Yeah. Um and so long, uh, it, it sounds like it's between him and Nylon Green. Green. I think so. I, th- I think it's between favorites. those, those two and and maybe Lassiter has got a little bit more of the run at this point. Um and Javon Bullard is the other guy who's coming up in terms of a new name. Um, I I think he could get some real reps at star and yeah. Um, he got a lot of reps and, in the spring there when I was there. And and this is before we even get to the highest rated defensive back recruiting hall and the history of the program. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, for whatever reason, maybe because they are true freshmen, I guess I'm not expecting to see a lot of the true freshman corners, especially, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe Everett, mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. It sounds like Everett will get real snaps. I mean, he maybe so was with the ones in the spring game. Yeah. Right. So, and, and, and we, yeah, we talked about point. Starks in the spring and basically yeah. whether or not we think a true freshman, even as talented as him could get on the field and nope. that that could be difficult. It sounds yeah. like he's guaranteed to play a lot this year. I think they're trying to get him in. I think they're yeah. trying to get some, some run for him. Now, Which, David, what, David, to your right. point, I remember, you know, you saw him in spring as an early enrollee. And he had a long ways to go. Uh, in my opinion, that's sort of to be expected coming out from a guy who had been mm-hmm. an option quarterback yeah, more so yeah, than a safety yeah. as an yeah. early enrollee. 
Um, but they're really high on him. And I mean, you remember that, you know, Lewisine, they found a way to get Lewisine out there in three safety packages his freshman year towards the end of the season because they just said, this guy's good. Yeah. I think Starks will be something like that. Now, maybe it's not even the end of the season. Maybe it's the middle of the season. Who knows? Maybe he plays early. I'm not putting money on that or something, but I wouldn't be surprised for them to put him out there in packages with Chris Smith and Dan Jackson or and Tyke Smith, something like that. And really what's a struggle for us is we don't know who they're playing at star right now, because I told you my vote would be for Tyke Smith and bumping William Poole out to the outside corner, which is where I think he's a better fit, but I'm not there at practice. I don't know what they're seeing. So if let's say Tyke Smith is they want to play the deep safety, they want to get Dan Jackson off the field a lot and they want to keep pull at star but then it opens up a world of possibilities. And that's really where the, the game comes is, wherever you bump these people to is going to determine where the open spots are and who can, who's getting reps where mm-hmm. I don't see Malachi Stark playing anytime soon in the season. I do think like, like you said, at that town, he'll get on the field some way. I really don't think he'll play anytime early this year. I just, I don't see yeah. it. Well, to, to hear them, <laughs> to, to hear them talk about it, he's come a long way since the spring. So I haven't and, seen him in the fall, but and, and so, but I'm just telling y'all from a scheme standpoint, the neural load on what they asked that starter to y'all, it's like rocket science. So that's the thing for me is it's not even so much oh, his, yeah. his play. It's just what he's asked to do because you saw how much William Poole struggled as a four-year player moving from outside corner to inside in the SC championship game. It's just a lot mentally. That's where, right. where I'm pushing back a I, little bit. I, I think they would have him at safety, not at star though. That would make more sense. Right. Okay. Like, like I was saying, they put Lewisine out there in three safety packages, not put Lewisine out there in star as a freshman because that yeah. was too much. But yeah, but it'll so, be, I mean, it'll be matchup dependent. It'll be how much he progresses and that the right answer based on information today might be wrong after the next couple scrimmages. Right. So it's a lot of guesswork. And they're scrimmaging as we speak. Do we agree that the strength of this team is offense, not defense? We project at least. I do. Sort of yes. I think I might even say the strength of the team might still be just sort of physicality on both lines of scrimmage. Okay. Uh, but that's kind of guessing because, like we said, I don't know. It's been a long time since people have been able to run on us, and maybe that happens again. I don't even remember what that's like. <laughs> now, now, I think that our offense is actually going to be significantly improved over last year. And I say significantly improved, and we were the eighth offense and scoring last year. <laughs> um, and, and number in, number two in SP plus number two in offensive SP plus because but our offense wasn't good last year, right? But right. You know, we were number we're two in offensive only yeah. only fourth in yards per play. Yeah, yeah. fourth in yards per play. Um, seventh in offensive touchdowns. Yeah, but yeah, you know we we weren't that good last year in offense. I think we're going to be better. We're returning a starting quarterback. Uh, will we have quarterback controversy this year, Scott? Always is water wet. <laughs> Wait, hey. wait a minute. Wait a minute. Scott, are, are you saying we are going to have a quarterback controversy? There's always quarterback controversy. There is There's... no quarterback controversy. Oh, Jay, no, 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 no. Athens, Georgia no, no. this fall. To, today, today, there's not. It's a long season. Okay. So, so you, you think, I, uh, you, yeah. you think Bennett is going to play badly and the backup will be called for, or do you think Beck or Vandergriff is going to come on? I just, I, I'll just say what I think. I don't think any of that's going to happen. I, I think it's, I think it's the furthest thing possible from a quarterback controversy right now, as you just said. And 
and I expect it to stay that way the whole year. I, I will be very surprised if if there's a controversy later in the year. It depends on whether you define controversy as within the coaches' rooms or within the fan and media <laughs> rooms, right? Yeah. Within yeah, the fan yeah. within the fan and media realm, there is one scenario where there's no QB controversy this year, and that is undefeated regular season, win the national title, and Stetson never throws multiple interceptions in a game. Yep. That's the only yep. scenario where there's no QB controversy from a fan media standpoint. Technically, that scenario could happen very low percentage. If you'd like to put money on it, I'll happily take it from you. Now, Jay, to your point, there is no controversy over who the starting quarterback is. That is very, very well defined in that sense. But it was also last year, very well defined. And we spent three months debating. It was also defined the year before that. And there was controversy and it was defined the year before that. And there was controversy and it was defined the year before that. And there was controversy. I'm going to throw 2020 out because 2020 was weird with the quarterback quitting in fall camp. So I got to throw They've that one all out been bit. weird. They've all been weird every but, year. But <laughs> last year, we spent three months. We're going to get the national championship game talking about whether we should bench our starting quarterback. <laughs> yeah, it was extra wild. I'll, I mean, I'll speak just for myself and say I, I didn't think it was very well defined at all last year as soon as JT Daniels came up injured. I mean, okay. it, it, it was defined until that point. But then as, as yeah. soon as as soon as he was hurt, it, it wasn't defined after that. And and it wasn't well defined for me last season because, again, I'll just speak for myself. I didn't know what we had in Stetson Bennett. I mean, I mm. I truly I like I, I was a convert. I mean, and we've talked about that this is true. Before. You were convert. Yep. Jonathan. Yep. Were you were you worried that we were going to lose to UAB? I was not worried that we were going to lose to UAB. We uh, but all I, were banging the drum for Carson. Beck, all three of Carson us. Beck, I, I was, I was, in fact, I might even say that Scott actually was the most level headed about us he starting was. Stetson Bennett against he UAB. Um, like he was, he was cool about it. I was not cool about Jordan it. Jordan Davis was still playing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was not cool about starting Stetson Bennett against UAB. It was, it was not until like his numbers and our offensive production continued to be what it was yeah. game after game after game at home on the road. Like he converted me. And so to me, once I felt like, okay, if this is in fact, like what we have in Stetson Bennett, like basically if his numbers are the same or better, certainly than they were last year, there, there is no quarterback controversy. Like it, it would be impossible for, for him to be replaced certainly, or there to be a coach controversy. I mean, is there going to be something on the message boards? Yes. But that's like yeah. asking, is, is there, is it ever going to rain? So, I mean, <laughs> but, but to me, like if he, if he is what he was last year and certainly if he's any better than he was last year, there is no quarterback controversy. This is Stetson Bennett's season. From the coach's standpoint, I assure you, if we lose to Tennessee and he throws two interceptions, fans and media will have a quarterback controversy. Yeah. If we lose a regular yeah. season game, period. Right at on paper, we are are we we're double digit favorites in every game this season? So, yeah. yeah, I don't know if we're two touchdown favorites in every game, but clear favorites in every game coming into the season. So, if you even lose one of those games, unless you lose that game where both teams score in the 40s and Stetson has like no interceptions or something, unless you know, if you lose that game and he throws a pick or two. There will be fans and media 
talking about it. And part okay. of it is because fans are too reactionary. And part of it is because Georgia is being viewed through the lens of the elite programs. Right. And so if you lose a game to a program, that's not as good as you, people are going to say, Hey, don't you think this wouldn't happen if they had elite quarterback play? Shouldn't you give your elite talented quarterbacks a chance because Ohio state and Alabama are undefeated and you're not. And they're going to say, Kirby has a history of uh, issues with quarterback choices and blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying it's fair. I'm not saying it's smart. I'm just saying it's going to rain at some point this fall. And I'm, I am not really interested at all in what overreactionary fans think. I am interested. <laughs> I am interested, Scott, in what you think. So, like, do, do you think there should be a quarterback controversy? Okay, that's a good question. But basically, yeah, and, in, in the scenario you described, like we lose a game, maybe Stet throws two interceptions. Should there then be questions about the quarterback? And that's a much more fun question. So I appreciate it. And thank okay. you. All right. Uh, part of that is going to be very dependent on the context of the rest of the team mm-hmm. and the season. Right. Yeah, yeah. So if, you know, if we're losing a game because Stetson had an off game, but the defense has been not playing up to its standards for eight games in a row. And the offense has mostly been carrying the team for the eight games. And he had one game where he wasn't so great. Well, I mean, like, yeah, that, that happens. Right. Mm-hmm. It, you know, now if the defense is a top three defense again and you lose a regular season game or two because Stetson doesn't play very well and you're kind of limited on offense, then maybe it's a different question. And also, too, we haven't seen any of the young quarterbacks, not really. Right. So also, of course, if Stetson misses a little time and you see one of the young quarterbacks and, oh, they actually look really, really good. And then he comes back from a rolled ankle where he missed a game against whoever and struggles. That's a totally different scenario. That would so, be the last four years of UJ football. <laughs> it, yeah, that the most not hypothetical and almost guaranteed hypothetical. So, it, yeah, I'm curious to see if Stetson can be better. The efficiency numbers for the offense as a whole and for Stetson were quite good. Um even the numbers like SP plus and FEI and other things that try and adjust for scenario and circumstance still had good numbers on UGA offense. I've long kind of said that I really like SP plus and stuff like that. And I also think they're normalized to the average. And I don't think they always do a great job handling these like edge cases where it's like, you look at, how successful an offense is or isn't. And then you go try and apply that numerical approach to 2019 LSU. And it's like, well, 2019 LSU breaks every rule ever. So you built this model around how things normally work. How do you apply it to this team where nothing is normal about them? Um, so it, it's a little bit debatable to me, whether the offense was quite as good as some of the efficiency numbers, right? if they can keep those efficiency numbers up again, that would be great because it's, it's sort of like things that are schedule dependent where you can be a better team the next year and have a worse record sometimes Very true. because the schedule is harder. So I think that Stetson could play a little bit better. The offense could actually perform a little bit better and you could drop from number two to number four in SP plus totally reasonable. But if the offense is good again, I'll be happy with it. 
Speaking of which, we are projected to be one of the best offenses in the country. Um, Scott, I'm looking at what you put in here. Is this right that we are projected to have the number two offense in the country according to SP Plus? Is that right? Yeah, basically tied with Bama from the SP Plus standpoint. Wow. Who, who we finished ahead of an offense last year. Wow. Okay. Just for the record. <clears throat> yeah. Well, we didn't have any 10-point games. I believe Bama did, right? Oh, yeah. Funny how that works. Which is an interesting projection, right, given the position group on offense that we haven't really talked about yet, which is wide receivers. Receiver. I'd like to talk um, about that. <laughs> yeah. What, what do we expect, right? What I think is interesting, though, is that having said that we are average at receiver, relatively speaking, to other high-level offenses, worse at receiver than Alabama, worse at receiver than in OSU, I would say. We are worse than both these teams at quarterback, and we're protected to have an elite offense. <laughs> yep. Offensive Which, line's a big part of that. It really is. And the fact that what you said, Scott, we still do have good running backs, even though we don't have we don't have Chubb Michelle, but we still do have good college players at running back. And that's what you said too, Jay. All right, guys. So to end this with the real to end this discussion about the offense, it's a really good debate, at least the skill positions at offense, really good debate. And I don't know which one of you came up with this question, but it's pretty genius. This is probably a Scott question. It was no, Jay, this is your question. Yes, sir, it was. If you could replace Stetson with any smart or ricked era starter as they were in college, would you? If you're asking me, I'm going to go first with them. If I could, well, yes, because we have more talented quarterbacks. Now, and again, I'm happy with Stetson. I've been a Stetson defender since, you know, I was a late convert, but I've been a Stetson defender, um, especially in the postseason when I went back and looked at his numbers and saw that he had, you know, one of the top five passing seasons in UJ football history, which people don't realize. But yes, if I could replace him, uh, there's a few guys. I mean, my probably favorite Richter quarterback was DJ Shockley. If you can tell me I could put DJ Shockley in this offense with Todd Munkin. Um, yes, I'm taking DJ Shockley over Stetson Bennett. Um, but do I think it makes a huge difference in the trajectory of our season? I don't necessarily know. But I just think having a guy that can throw the ball 70 yards and run really fast is a great mm-hmm. advantage especially a guy that was efficient in college like he was his senior year. Let, let me say this. The question came to me because as I was thinking about it, I surprised myself a little bit in thinking, I'm not sure that I would replace him mm. with any quarterback that we've had for the last 20 years. That said, I don't think anybody is crazy for being like, no, of course I'd rather have DJ Shockley or Aaron Murray or Matt Stafford be our quarterback. Like obviously you can make that argument, but yeah, the the fact that it's even close is really something, and I I think I could I think I could make the argument again. Okay, mostly based on production, not on talent, which again is really the the remarkable part of the story is based on what we think we know, right? I mean, if Stetson Bennett was on the cover of Sports Illustrated this week, like if you would if you had predicted that whatever it was six years ago when he first showed up at a UGA camp wearing a postal service hat, (laughs) like, like that kid is going to be, you know, I mean, it would have been crazy. So just that we're even talking about it is interesting, but I'll say this in terms of the debate, in terms of production, like in terms of what they did on the field as a quarterback at Georgia, um, you, you've got an uphill climb to put anybody over what Stetson Bennett did last year um, about the only season that anybody's had in the last 20 years that is like you could probably say clearly better than what Aaron Bennett Murray. did last year is 2012 Aaron yeah, Murray. Aaron Murray. Like yeah. al- almost yeah. no other season, again, based on production, is like definitely better. And that by itself is really something. Yeah, my 
my only addendum to that is that production is a team thing. Sure. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. like you had Aaron Murray throw into Orson Charles, who is a good college tight end, but he wasn't throwing to Brock Bowers, who is an elite college <laughs> tight end. Right. Yeah. You know, so, so stuff like that. It's not, you know, can't quite just compare the numbers totally in a vacuum. You know, if yeah. Stetson, if Stetson wins a second national title, then these kind of hypotheticals will be fun or whatever, but he won't care and nobody else will care either. <laughs> Definitely, He's not. already going to go down as a, a legend as is. So, yeah. And to your point, Scott, the flip side of that is Aaron Murray's handing the ball to Todd Gurley. You know, like, so it's like freshman Todd Gurley. So, you know, like you said, it's just, there's always, you always have to provide context for those numbers. I mean, you make a good point there. Um, okay, so moving along, we haven't talked about it, Jay, the line of scrimmage. We've, we talked a little bit about, like, the fact that we think that the offensive line has been strong, but what the, what are we expecting for projection across the offensive line? What's the buzz from camp about who's going to play where? Well, Rattledge, Rattledge has a turf toe, so he's going to be fighting Jeez. that all season now, yeah. which stinks because uh, – Prior to that, you looked like you were returning Jones at left tackle, returning McClendon at right tackle, yes. returning uh, Van Pran Granger at center, and getting your right guard back. You missed the whole season last year. Yep. Um, I, I thought only Alabama had injuries, but you know, uh, I forgot the <laughs> Ratledge and a few other starters missed the whole season. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, so you were basically looking at having four veteran returning starters and only the left guard spot open. I think I think that's still probably the case. I mean, I, Ratledge has had a turf toe. I guess what I've heard about that is that he, is that he's doing fine, and that even like last Saturday, if we were playing Oregon, like he probably would have been in there. Um, we'll see if if that bothers him all season. That's really going to be a bummer. But I if if he's good to go, then left guard is the only spot that is up for grabs right now, and um, I think they've gotten they've given real looks at left guard to Devin Willock to Xavier Truss, to Jared Wilson. Like all three of them have gotten like legitimate reps with the ones. So I think um, that's the spot that's up for grabs. Again, as long as Ratledge is healthy. If he's healthy, he's the right guard. If not, we may be looking for two guards. Mm. Ooh, oh, okay. It's not, not what you expect to come into the year, is it? Yeah, I mean, and all really talented and really, really large human beings. Like, like, like <laughs> they are all, very large. All guys that pretty much any college football program in the country would be happy to be competing for a spot in fall camp. That's to say nothing, of course, of Amarius Mims, who mm. Mark Rick, who Mark Rick, who Kirby Smart talked into uh, coming back to Georgia after entering mm. the transfer portal. Yeah. And is an incredibly it was definitely talented. Kirby Smart and not an NIL. You know, <laughs> of course not. No, 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 no NIL involved. Um, so anyway, I mean, the, the talent is, is deep, uh, for sure. Um, and the lineup is, I think is nearly set as long as Ratledge is healthy, um, with the exception of left guard. What about on D line? Like, and this is one that I really am asking y'all about. I have not followed fall camp. I've been wrapped up in coming up with a way to stop a very, very difficult quarterback from a local school in our game last night. And <laughs> we were successful by the way, I believe he went nine of 18 for 67 yards. Um, which was a huge win for us. And so I have not followed any of the camp buzz. I've been trying to figure out how to run our three safety look on and off the field <laughs> with injuries. And so I'm really interested to know, hey, do y'all have any intel on who's going to be playing 
on either side of Jalen Carter. <laughs> I I have concern. I have concern is what I have. I don't have intel. I have concern. Okay. Uh, yeah, Jalen Carter's probably going to start, right? Like he's pretty good. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, le- legitimately, maybe even maybe a better football player than all the ones we just had drafted. Yeah. Like like m- maybe that good. Yeah. So, but then after him, boy, it, there's there's a lot of possibilities based on returning snaps. It's probably like Tramel Walthour, yeah. Zion Logue, yeah, or maybe like the top three, mm-hmm. based on guys that maybe we've heard some things about over the summer in camp. I would say Tyrion Ingram Dawkins is somebody that people are are hoping probably kind of goes into that Trayvon Walker role, not Trayvon Walker production, but Trayvon Walker role in terms of sort of a hybrid tackle end guy. Um, boy, after that. Um, I mean, Warren Brinson played a lot last year. I, I mean, Brinson was in a lot mm-hmm, last year, mm-hmm. but but not not heard from a ton. But, but he but he was in there. <laughs> yeah. um, so those are probably the guys. If you're not counting on the true freshman, did right? You, did you list Stackhouse in there? I didn't know. He's yes. he's Stackhouse. Yeah. Probably a backup to Logue. Is that what we? Th- I mean, he's mostly a nose, or do we think? So the one the one thing is you don't have anybody that's built like a nose. No. Yeah. Right out of your returning guys, so I think normally we rotate about six mm-hmm. down linemen, like six real big bodies. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll see, obviously Jalen Carter and probably Logan Ingram Dawkins as your starters, and then you'll see a lot of Brinson and Stackhouse, and maybe a lot of Waltower. Now the good news there is uh, Waltower is probably kind of last on that list. I think he's the most veteran, but also the most likely to lose his snaps to Micah Williams midseason, I think. Uh, yeah. Um, but you have, of the probably five guys that they really feel good about rotating, you have a fourth-year player, a third-year player, a third-year player, a third-year player, and a second-year player. So it, a lot of mostly, yeah, mostly guys that have played in 20 games, right? Mostly guys that have been... This is their third time through fall camp, multiple off seasons, you know, so these are college ready guys. So I think that part goes a little bit overlooked because of how much was lost. Normally when you lose as much as we lose in the front seven, you're looking at replacing them with all freshmen and sophomores. And thankfully we're not, we're replacing them with, you know, friggin' mm-hmm. Jalen Carter and mm-hmm. a bunch of other guys that have also played 20 or 30 games. Yep. Um, so on that, I think there's a pretty solid floor because I think we already know there's at least five good players that can rotate. The question is, do we have anybody else that's going to play at the level of a first-round pick this year? Like We know that Jalen Carter will be that. Do we have anybody else that's going to go, oh, this guy's a first-round talent? Mm-mm. You got Michael I- Williams, who is that but may not be on the field till the middle or late part of the season because he's a true freshman. Mm-hmm. I think you have Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, who maybe is going to be that, maybe not. That's To me, he's very much a swing guy on the defensive line. If he's really ready to be that dude out of the gate, then you're looking at you know a second-year guy who's a first-round pick, a third-year guy who's a first-round pick, and a bunch of other veteran guys to rotate. You're good. If he's if he's not that out of the gate, if he's just like pretty good, then all of a sudden you're going, 
oh man, we don't really have a nose tackle type body. Oh no, we're kind of getting pushed around. I, I think what what you're hoping for from Michael Williams is that he has a true freshman season, maybe similar to what Trayvon Walker had. Like when he would like Walker was a true freshman, and you were like, wow, like he's out there most third downs, like like playing on the defensive line and playing pretty well and like coming up with some big plays. I mean, I think if you yeah. get if you get that from Williams this year, and that is possible because he's that good, um, yeah, you'd, be pretty, you'd be pretty happy with that. Right. That that outcome is super on the table because yep, he so. is ready to play. Now, so. he's a true freshman. It doesn't mean he's ready to start. doesn't mean he's ready to play every down, play every right. play. Right. He's good enough where he's going to be out there in packages. He's maybe a little bit heavier than Walker. He's not, he like he's not as fast as Walker. No. He's also much farther ahead as far as like hand usage and pass yeah, rush, yeah. you know, repertoire and stuff like that. So they're very different players and, and some aspects. So say it, as far as big bodies, as far as down linemen, I, there's definitely guys there that are ready to play. Right. But it's like a lot of the front seven where things are uh, new guys are coming in or new guys are taking on bigger roles. It's, are you going to have a good defensive line or a really good defensive line or a great defensive line? You're coming mm-hmm. off of great. So Dropping down to just normal good will feel like a really big step back, even if they're actually still pretty good. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, of course, we don't know exactly how much we're going to get out of the pass rush. Um, outside of Jalen Carter, you know, I don't know, Stackhouse kind of can knife in there and get after the passer a little bit, maybe. And we said maybe, you know, Michael Williams should play some uh some pass rush snaps. And then we'll see what we get out of the the edge guys, right? It Robert Beal, who sort of low key led the team in sacks last year, which is only happened because Adam Anderson, you know, might be a terrible person. But um, between Beal and Nolan Smith, so you kind of low key have two really veteran pass rushers who are going to get at least some sacks. And then you know you got Marvin Jones junior who is not going to start but again these really talented freshmen that they're they're allegedly having very good camps you expect that those guys turn into rotation players by the middle or end of the season and that adds a little extra juice and i think it's also important to remember so much of georgia's pressure came from inside linebacker blitzes also with nicobe being a great blitzer and having so much speed with quay walker and good gosh tanning tendal is like a missile when he blitzes and you're not going to have that kind of speed at linebacker this year. You still yeah. have good, good, good speed, but we ain't got no Channing Tindles out there. Yeah, I mean, you may not have a Channing Tindall speed because, yeah, that's just maybe it's not fair. Um, yeah. But I will say as far as, you know, Dumas Johnson fits more of like the Nicobe Dean, Nicobe yeah. Dean, Monty Rice profile of the yeah. inside linebacker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you do have Smell Munden, who is tall and long and rangy and can run a little bit more like Quay Walker, maybe mm-hmm. a little – Maybe a smidge faster, not quite as filled out yet. And you got Jalen Walker, who is a true freshman. So, you know, yeah, he's a how much can you count on him? But the dude can play. He can absolutely run. Um, so you still got some. I mean, if you're bringing some of those guys on you know, inside linebacker blitz, you know, you know, hit them with a little cross dog action. Uh, those guys can still get after people, I think. So what's the overall projection for this defense, guys? We know we're not going to be historically good. And by the way, if you have not listened to the last podcast where I talk about why ESPN just crapped all over UJ's 2021 defense, putting them 17th all time, 
putting them as the sixth best defense of the last 13 years, which is absolutely absurd. Go listen to that podcast after this one. It's short. It's worth your time if you're a Georgia fan. It's I love Bill Connolly, but he he gets ripped a new one by me because he messed that one up. But having said that, we no one expects a historically good defense. Do we expect like 2019 good or just above average top 10 defense? Because this is still a top 10 defense, but is this a defense that's going to give up 18 points a game or a defense that's going to give up 14 points a game? You know, the question for me, because uh, like it or not, in terms of the expectations, we are still a team that is thought to be contending for the national championship. So to me, the question is, do I think this defense can be a national championship defense? Um, I think it can. Uh, that may be what I would say is sort of the ceiling in terms of what they might do. I mean, when I look at, for instance, Alabama's defense last year, do I think our defense this year can be that good? Um, mm, good. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, that that, yeah. that that might be a decent comparison. Um, as good as some of those Clemson defenses from the last several playoff years maybe not that good, maybe somewhere in between the really elite Clemson defenses, our defense last year and the Alabama defense from the previous year. Um, I mean, I think, I think if guys are healthy and if we get some contribution from the young guys, especially it could be in there. I mean, it could be good enough to support a national championship type team. What's something about that is of course, you know, LSU had a, not even close to elite defense in 2019, but of course yep. you have to throw them out because it's like, well, <laughs> they had historically good offense. So, right. mm-hmm. and you know, 2019 Alabama had, excuse me, 2020 Alabama had a good defense and for Alabama, it was a good defense, but it wasn't their 2011 defense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but again, they had another historically ridiculously good offense. And so I think what Scott would say, cause I'm going to, I'm going to speak for Scott here is, there are so many other factors that affect whether or not your defense is good enough. But in general, a top 10 defense is good enough to win you a national championship in a vacuum. It is good enough. I think that this defense will be good enough to win a national championship in a vacuum. Now, are we going to have, you know, a if we if we legitimately have the number two offense in the country and you have a defense that's given at 15 points a game, you can win the national championship. That's conceivable. We just don't know how it's all going to play out. Now, it's going to be like last year where your defense that really gives up seven points a game, Alabama burns you for one big game that almost cost you the national championship. And by the way, fun fact, the UJ defense should have been given credit for five shutouts last year, but because of stupid plays in Charleston Southern and a pick six against um, uh, UAB, they don't get credit for shutouts. If they had gotten those five, that would have been the most in the last 40 years, if I'm correct. So just, just to remind you of how good last year's defense was, but as we wrap this up, guys, let's go ahead and make some projections. Scott, what's the number for this year? The the over-under or my number? Not that it matters because they basically are both the same every okay. year. <laughs> okay. But I'm pretty sure the over-under is 10.5. And, a half. and uh, let's see, 2018, 2019, 2020. Uh, for the fifth straight year, I'm predicting 11-1. and one. <laughs> Couldn't have seen that one coming. <laughs> yep. I mean, you know, let the record show that – the only ways we deviate off of 11 and one is if JT Daniels gets hurt uh, when your starting quarterback has already quit the team and then Stetson comes in and then Stetson <laughs> gets hurt in the first quarter. 
that's how you lose a second game if you also have Alabama on the road that season. So as long as we don't have a game where Gunnar Stockton is starting but gets hurt in the first quarter and they <laughs> surprise add Alabama to the middle of our schedule, 11-1. Okay. Jay? 11-1, and one, I, I think, is the, is the prediction. Um, if the over-under is 10 and a half, I, I think you have to take the over. Got even to. if even if you can't find 10 and a half um, and you're finding over under of 11, I think you still have to take the over feeling like you're either going to get the over or it's, or it's going to be a wash um, at, yeah, at, at exactly the number. Um, no, I, it, it's 11 and one with, uh, with a slip up somewhere, maybe against one of the best teams on our schedule. Maybe not, maybe, maybe on the road against Mississippi state or something and, and a weird offense. Right. But um, uh, or, or just, Mississippi state could low key be the third best team on your schedule. Right. right. Yeah. And then that game on the road. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I mean, 11 and one is if, if I had to, if I had to bet an amount of money that mattered to me, um, I, 11 and one. So we've kind of dropped the ball here. We're barely, let's take a quick run through the schedule. Scott, will you run through the schedule real quickly? You and Jay. Yeah, we open up with uh, the classic neutral game uh, against Oregon. And then we play some team named the Bulldogs who, whatever, Sanford or something, I forget. Uh, And open up the conference schedule with at South Carolina. And then what, Akron, some throwaway game uh, at Missouri. Then Auburn at home, Vanderbilt at home. And then I don't remember what comes after that technical difficulties um oh yes and then the always not so neutral neutral site game against florida uh hashtag stand with kirby hashtag move it to where we can recruit hashtag playing in atlanta atlanta that's neutral too uh, and then we have uh, home against tennessee and then like was mentioned this is maybe a tricky one tricky stretch yeah, uh, yeah this at is. mississippi state at Kentucky, yeah. and then followed up with a, a non-con cupcake cupcake game to finish the season. <laughs> yeah, some team, some some uh, some technology school or engineering yeah. school. Yeah, so you know, Florida is in year one with a new coach. It's hard to say exactly how good they'll be. It, they have enough talent, and they might be functional enough where it's still a real rivalry game. So you have that, and then you play Tennessee, and then you go at Starkville and at Kentucky. And there's a very good chance that Tennessee, Mississippi State, and Kentucky are the three best teams you play in the yeah, regular season. Yep, yep. And to play all three of them on the road towards the end of the season, which at that point means you're starting to be banged up, right? You're playing Florida. You're playing Tennessee, who has an offense that will be different than everybody else. And then you're yeah. playing Mississippi State, who's got an offense that's different than everybody else. And then you're playing Kentucky, who's got a – the offense that's different than everybody else and your best stretch of quarterbacks that you're going against. So very, very possible. You drop a game in there. It, yeah. It's not insane that you could have a bad game and lose to Oregon to start the season. I'd probably put that at like the fifth or sixth most likely game you lose. I think you're more likely to lose one of those late games or even to have a bad game against South Carolina. South Carolina yeah. South Carolina it, on the road. At South Carolina, you know, um, we've had a history, some stuff up there. We we've had some funky stuff happen up there. And I think like what you said, Scott, that stretch of Florida and a neutral site game, which we know is an away game for us. You do get Tennessee at home and then away against two teams that could be pretty good in Mississippi state and Kentucky. I think you're right that if we drop a game, it's in that stretch. Would you agree with that Jay? 
Yeah, no, that's that's where I'm looking for sure. I I'm not particularly worried about Auburn. Um, no. I guess I'm not about South Carolina early in the season, but I don't yeah. know. I mean, they, they could have some early season juice. Yeah. I mean, I, if 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 Rattler's playing well or whatever. Um, so so maybe that one just because it's South Carolina. But no, you're you're looking at that stretch at the end for sure as as the hard spot. If you're being pessimistic about the schedule, you could look at it and say, Oregon, South Carolina, Florida, Tennessee, Mississippi State, and Kentucky, your five hardest games. You could probably say, or six toughest games. You could say, of your six toughest games, one's at home. Yeah, that's and true. Really, you got to go at least one and a half or two because the, the Oregon game. But still, you could say, of your six toughest games, two at home, four on the road. So that's kind of a good recipe for dropping a game you really kind of should win. I'm going to chime in here and join you on saying 11 and 1. I, I really think we have a good chance of another undefeated regular season, but I also know crap happens. So if you were to tell me that Georgia has everybody healthy for every game, I think we went on 12. But we yeah. know that's not how real football is played. So I'm joining y'all with 11 and 1. And to wrap this up, do we beat? Alabama in the SEC championship or lose to Alabama because they're going to curb stomp almost everybody in the SEC West. They'll have one or two close games just because they always do, but they're going to bludgeon almost everybody they play this year because they are really good. Well, I mean, as we know, that game has basically nothing to do with what we do or how we play. It just has to do with whether or not Jermaine Burton's healthy. That's the only factor (laughs) that matters in college football. Um, So it's 50, 50 because he's hurt half the time. I mean, yeah, if if I'm betting on that game right now, I'm betting on Alabama, I think. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm yeah. betting on Bryce Young and Will Anderson. Um I I am sure hoping that we're going to be competitive in that game and and maybe even 3 out of 10 times we win it, but yeah. uh no, at this moment right now, I I would bet on Alabama. And the difficulty is that at all times, the two best players in the field will be on Alabama's team. Uh, well, m- uh, maybe because uh, Jalen Carter it could be considered in that same tier. I, I, I hear you, but I think Will Anderson should have won the Heisman last year, and Bryce Young did. So you have <laughs> arguably yeah, the quarterback's the most impactful, right? And so yeah. them having one of those guys at quarterback goes a long way. But and there's still a chance that Jalen Carter is picked ahead of both those guys, right? Just depending it's on possible. the order of draft picks. But also being an edge rusher is more impactful than being an interior defensive lineman. I have to say unless that. unless you're in Dominican Sioux, which is something that is not off the table for how good it's true. Carter is this year. It's true. But, but yeah. Will Anderson had the most tackles for loss in the last like 25 years. Y'all. Oh, I yeah, mean, yeah. He's he's, he's, he's absurd. Yeah. But I, I just hear that. I, I just I look at that game and I say, quite possibly the two best players in the field are on Alabama. Yeah. One offense, one on defense. And just obviously we always play Alabama well. I mean, for the most part, with very few exceptions of the Kirby, we play Alabama well in the majority of our games. And so I think it's a good game. I think the question, I think the question is, will 11-1 get us a seat at the playoff table? It's a question we can't really answer because we don't know the context of the rest of college football. But beyond Ohio State and Alabama, there are no other clear contenders. Yeah. If you're 12-0 going into the SEC championship game against it's Alabama, lock. it's a lot. Then you're in the playoff. Yeah, it's a Except, lot. of course, for one of the other teams who did get a first-place vote, which was Texas, as we all know. Did, you, did y'all see this? I'm, I'm no. Not sure. Te- no. Texas got, got a first-place vote in the, in, the, in the coaches' poll, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's probably a vote from, like, 
a Texas A&M or Oklahoma <laughs> right. or a TCU coach or somebody that just, yeah. It, yeah. It's very non-serious. I imagine it could, it could have been Jimbo for sure. Yeah. 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 That, so, that was that, that. Yeah. I'll believe I, I will I say, I will say as far as how the matchup would be against Bama, which obviously a long ways away, not even guaranteed that either of those teams is in the conference championship game. Right. You know, we talked a lot about how, Teams will look different towards the end of the year as young guys start to get incorporated, guys get more experience, all that kind of stuff. Um, there's a chance that Georgia's better than Alabama on both lines of scrimmage. Hmm. As far as just looking at both teams, 300-pound dudes, right? And so, I mean, like Will Anderson's not really a, a defensive lineman, right? He's a, an edge guy. He's an edge. Right? So just as far as like the big – the big uglies, uh, Georgia's offensive line sure is a whole lot better than Bama's offensive line. Mm-hmm. It, they haven't been as good on the offensive and defensive line the last, I don't know, how long has Kirby been at Georgia? However how, how long, enough, how yeah, long six, it years. took for Kirby leaving to finally show up. A few years trickle-down effect after that, right? Yeah. Uh, it's not all him, but that's just, you know, that is kind of a timeline. So, yeah, there's a chance that uh, Bama could have all the flashy players and Georgia could push them around. I'm not saying that's the likely scenario or anything like that, but it's just a, a reminder that this, the game's a long ways away and there's a lot we don't really know, right? Alabama yeah. is bringing in a Vanderbilt player to start at tackle, hmm. right? So okay. that's not because okay. – they have an amazing offensive line or because <laughs> there was a miraculously a first round pick at Vanderbilt, which occasionally happens. This is not that. Uh, you're not wrong. And I think, I think the kind of the summary is that I hope people listening to this, a know that UJ is going to be very, very good again. I mean, that, that's a given we're going to finish no lower than sixth in the final polls, unless, a, you know, the wheels just fall off and we have a rash of injuries. We are going to be able to compete for a national championship again this year. Will we win it? We don't know. No one knows that the best teams don't always win it, but we are going to have a shot. And I think for the majority of the year, we'll be talking about UGA as a playoff contender, if not even a playoff favorite. And I think that this is just going to be par for the course until Kirby decides to step away that we can get used to. No, no, no. This is the new normal at UJ football. Not just being a buzz team, but a team that could potentially win it every year. Kind of like what AA has done with the Braves, where the Braves are a team now that could probably win the World Series every year for the next five years, um, which we'll be talk, which I'll talk about on a separate podcast. But we've gone really long, as we always do. This has been a great conversation. Um, I'm excited about the football season. If I ever get a chance to watch games, once I stop watching film, I'm going to enjoy that. <laughs> but, uh, guys, we're going to go ahead and sign off. And... Uh, this has been Dave Bethay for Tyron Sportscast with Dr. J and Scott the Stat Assassin. Dr. J, tell the people adios. Stetson Bennett for Heisman. <laughs> and Scott, tell the people adios. The season approaches. All right, that's, that's it for today, and thank you for listening. <laughs>